Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. Folks, this is the Blue Day podcast, and this week we have decided to change our schedule up a little bit. We're not going to be talking about current day circus that is Chelsea Football Club. We wanted to pay our own little tribute to the late, great Terry Venables. We wanted to pay our own little tribute to a, a wonderful man, a fine player, and a great manager. Joining me this week to discuss Terry in more detail is the award-winning journalist and author, Harry Harris. Harry, welcome back to the show. Um, I'm starting to lose count the amount of times you've been on this show. I think you've been on this show more times than I have at this rate. But um, before we discuss Terry, how are you and what have you been up to recently? No, I thought, Keith, it's always a pleasure to go on your, your show. And I, I think you give me tokens as a reward, don't you? I get that. If I collect any more, I, I, I get a, um, a, a free annual pass to your show. Is that right? I'm not sure. <laughs> the the door is always open for you to come in and and spend the uh, entire day with us. Now it, it, it's 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 great to have you back on the show, Harry, and obviously discuss um different matters. And again, this one is linked to Chelsea a little bit, and we will touch on that later. But we, see, beforehand, we've had you talk about Roman Abramovich, we've had you talk about Ken Bates, but we're also going to talk about a certain individual that caught the hearts and caught the minds of many, many people. And we'll talk about Terry Venables now. And just to sort of touch on for those that may not be aware, because we've got some viewers that are not um, coked up on the history. Um, Terence Frederick Venables was born in Dagenham on the 6th of January 1948. He started his football career with Chelsea from 1960 to 1966. He would make a total of 237 appearances for the club, scoring 31 goals. And he was part of the side that would win the League Cup for Chelsea in 1965. From there, he would go on to play for Tottenham, where he would win the FA Cup as a player. He would then uh, go to Queen's Park Rangers. And in his later stages of, the career, of his career, playing career, he'd go on to Crystal Palace, where he became the assistant manager and then coach. And then we'll obviously touch on his coaching uh, career more in the later decades in in a minute with Harry but Harry just to sort of just to start with this interview when did you first hear about Terry Venables was it when he was still playing at the time playing at the time or was it when he got into coaching no I mean in, in, in uh, still a youngster obviously when he was playing for Chelsea um, but yeah, of course I heard of Terry Venables. I mean, who hadn't? I mean, he he made history. He played at every single level for England, um, and I'm not quite sure if anyone's actually broken that. But um, certainly, he was one of Tommy Doherty's uh, babes, you know, in that great Chelsea young team, um, formidable team, um, and um, you know, he uh, he only won two England caps, which was curious, but. Um, there was some formidable midfield talent at the time. Uh, and, you know, obviously, as a Spurs fan, you know, I'm a Spurs fan, he, he signed for Tottenham. And, of course, you know, Spurs has so many great midfield players, unbelievable midfield players, you know. And Terry Venable was coming into that team. The Spurs fans, you know, never took to him. He was booed from almost day one. Um, he just never had that kind of... It wasn't the kind of Tottenham player. He was he, he was a perfect fit for the Tommy Doherty team. 
Um, but he was a complete misfit in the, in the Spurs team. But yeah, he still went on and won the FA Cup. Um, and it was a great team he was playing in. Um, and uh, what can you say about that other than it was just a shame he really never had the time to settle into the Tottenham team. I think he would have adapted eventually, but never did. Do you think it might have been, when you talk about the fans not taking to him after his move from Chelsea to Tottenham, do you think, looking back, it could have been because he came from Chelsea? Because although the rivalry wasn't really there as it is now, there was obviously still a little bit of animosity between players moving from Chelsea to Tottenham or vice versa. No, I don't. I mean, as a Spurs fan, you know, we, we were brought up on such great midfield players, you know, through the 60s, uh, none more so than Dave Mackay. You know, um, one of the great players that I, I, I watched for so many years. I've never seen a midfield player quite like him. Um, and, you know, for, for Terry Venables to come into that midfield and take the place of players like Danny Blanchflower, Dave Mackay, um, it, it, it was difficult for him, really difficult for him. Um, and, you know, Spurs players were, were spoiled, spoiled for those kind of talents. You know, it was, it was, it was terrible. You know, in the, in the early 60s, there was no better footballing team than Spurs. Um, and um, he, he just wasn't up to that kind of standard. In 69, he would leave Tottenham to then join Queen's Park Rangers, so he'd be going back to West London. He'd have a number of seasons there, and he scored quite a few goals. And I believe he was in, believe he was in a, a, a very entertaining QPR side that featured a number of players that um, I know QPR fans still remember to this day. He would then obviously spend a little bit of time with Crystal Palace as a player, and then under Malcolm Allison, he then became the assistant manager, and then from there, he then got the Crystal Palace job. Did you see from when you remember seeing him as a player, did you think that he would become a coach slash manager? He would be somebody that would get into that side of the game? From what I saw him as a player, I would have thought not. But right. you know, as, as he progressed, it was perfectly clear from people I spoke to that you know he, he, he had so many thoughts about the game. Um, you know, he was um, always a step ahead um, and um, by that time, the time we got to Crystal Palace, we talk about a team of the 80s, don't we? You know, that the formidable success that he had at Crystal Palace and, and the kind of brand of football he was playing. Um, and then you picked up from the players, why? Because, because of his obvious talents that were developing as a coach and a manager. So from that point, I had no, no doubt at all uh, how much he'd progress. He could be England coach if he wanted to be. When he, when he turned up at Barcelona, I, I, I think the chairman at, at Palace that I knew very well at the time and um, uh, QPR chairman at the time I knew very well. I don't think anyone thought that that would happen. But, you know, um, at Barcelona, they were, asked, they were asking people like Bobby Robson, who, who was the best English coach. And, and by far, they said, Terry Venables would be top of their list. So they thought, well, if that kind of recommendation came from the likes of Bobby Robson, let's go and get him. But that, that was a shock. Hmm. However, I was delighted because as a young journalist on, on, on the national press there, I spent so many happy times uh, in Barcelona 
Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, not just Terry Venables, he, he, he signed Mark Hughes and Gary Lineker. Uh, and it just kept on giving. It, it, was a, it was a gift that kept on giving. So I spent many formative years, many times in Barcelona. Do you remember your first interaction with Terry? And what was that like for you? I don't remember my first interaction with him because by the time he was at Palace and I was there virtually all the time and at Barcelona all the time, it almost felt as though I knew him all the time. You know, <laughs> he was such an affable guy, so willing to, to interact with the media. Most most managers were in his generation because at that, that stage, as a journalist, if you wanted the information, you rang the manager. <laughs> but, you know, you had their numbers, not their mobiles, their direct lines in those days. You didn't, you didn't really need to know the owners as I did in, as time progressed, if you wanted the real information. But at that time, the managers ruled. Um, so you knew him very well. You rang him at home all the time. Anyway, it's a very good story if you talk about Chelsea. Danny Blanchflower was Chelsea manager. Um, and I was on the evening news at that time. And his wife said, look, you're going to have to stop this. And he, he said, I put up a sign over my bed not to speak to you before 6 a.m. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, would, I would ring him at 6.30, 7 a.m. Because the first edition was, would go at 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, if there was a big story breaking in the, in the press, you know, I'd be ringing him up, asking him for his, you know, advice and comments something like 7 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Anyway, just an aside. <laughs> just when you sort of touched on the Chelsea um, situation, there's one thing that I did sort of want to get your thoughts on was the fallout that Terry Venables had with Tommy Doherty, which was one of the reasons why Venables left Chelsea because of a few of the players went out when Tommy Doherty explicitly said no, <laughs> Venables was one of them. Um, obviously, those two had a falling out straight after, and it's it seemed from when I spoke to sort of Chelsea fans from that era, Tommy Doherty was using Terry as you know trying to make an example out of. When you had sort of interactions with Terry, did Terry sort of bring that up in conversation about his, in, you know, his dealings with Tommy Doherty and the fallout with him leaving Chelsea? Because with him starting his career at Chelsea, I, I sort of seem to think that he, he he must have really not liked Tommy Doherty to leave the club, considering that from the interviews that I've you know seen, or there's other sort of people that I've spoken to, he loved Chelsea. Well, I love the doc. I've got to tell you, you know, it, 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 I really hate to be talking about all this. It just makes me feel so old because all these people keep dying off on me. But, um, you know, I love the doc. And um, when I, uh, myself and Glenn Hoddle, we devised this new idea of a Football 30 concept uh, for Legends Football. And I got, got together a great Chelsea team, had all, all the great legends in it at the time. And I asked Tommy Docker to be manager. Uh, and I spoke to Tommy Doc all the time about all these things, and I spoke to Terry Venables about all these things. I think those formative years helped Terry Venables a lot because, you know, he could see that you have to have not a kind of hard and fast attitude with players. It isn't black and white because players aren't black and white in the sense that, you know, everyone needs to be treated differently. The whole teams need to be treated differently. I think he, he, he learned from that because... 
you know, when he was England manager, for example, we had all the stuff with Cathay Pacific, the dentist chair out there, out in the Far East. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. Uh, locking Dennis later, Wise yeah. in the head, overhead locker and gathering the overhead locker and smashing all the, the equipment and all this sort of stuff. But rather than, you know, banning everyone, he sort of like united them all by saying, look, you know, I will take the responsibility. I'll come up front. You just make sure that when, when it's Euro 96, we don't have none of these. You just concentrate on the games. And I think that unites the players behind him. They make them feel as though he's one of them. So I, I think that actually helped him. Interesting. You you touched on his, t- uh, his appointment at Barcelona and... You don't normally get that now when you go from QPR to Barcelona. That don't normally happen. I can't see that happening anytime soon. But he goes to Barcelona. It's a new experience. And I did hear actually just recently that you mentioned, you touched on um, Sir Bobby Robson. And there was apparently three managers that were linked with the job at Barcelona. One of them was Sir Bobby. The other one was Terry Venables. And the other one was a certain Sir Alex Ferguson. Now, that would have been interesting for that appointment. Well, I, I, I think Barcelona, you know, they, they want someone who coaches. They, mm. you know, they like to to rule the transfers, the player salaries, and all that. Um, Fergie wouldn't have been a fit because obviously he, he's in charge in all mm. aspects of the club, and that wouldn't have worked at Barcelona. Um, but Terry Venables, you know, you, you give him good quality players, he'll coach them. Um, he, he he also was, you know very much a diplomat, he would, you know, work his way into saying, I want a, a Lineker or a Hughes. Mm. Um, and, you know, they might comply or might not. But um, he, he was a good fit for Barcelona, although no one had a clue that that, would, that was, could possibly happen, but it did. Mm. And, um, you know, was he successful at Barcelona? Well, uh, got to the Champions, well, European Cup final, Stalemate with Stuart Bucharest, lose on penalties. That wasn't Barcelona's style. They should have taken taken them apart. Um, winning La Liga, well, Barcelona do that all the time. Well, they don't think they had done for a few years. So it wasn't the old, it wasn't the Barcelona we know enough. Yeah, um, they've gone through a bad spell and he got them out of it. So I wouldn't decry what he achieved in Barcelona. Because when I was doing my research about Terry, I I heard that and I found out that. Barcelona, when they won the league under Terry, it was their first league title for nearly 10 years. And if Barcelona would have beaten Stade Bucharest in the Champions League, or sorry, in the European Cup, that would have been their first major European trophy. When you look back on Terry's career, with that being with the penalty shootout, and then fast forward a few years later to Euro 96, do you think those sort of fine margins would have changed Terry's legacy from being a good fo- good football manager to one of the great football managers if he was able to get... If, if those penalty shootouts came the way of Terry's side? Well, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, it's just making me think, like, you could compare him to Mauricio Pochettino, you know, who uh, won nothing at Spurs, but was adored at Spurs, got to the Champions League final, but lost. Um, not a winner, but um, uh, Terry won the FA Cup with Spurs, so you can't say he's not a winner, but what a, what a great team he had, you know, in that Spurs team, you know, um, and, 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 and Gascoigne won the FA Cup on his, on his own virtually, although he didn't play in the final for very long, 
But what a great team that Spurs had anyway. No, I think um, I think that's right. You know, he, he was a coach, but was he a great winner? No, I don't think he was, actually. You know, uh, he inspired Crystal Palace to, to what they achieved. You can't decry, you know, he achieved so much. But I would just say very much the way Pochettino has achieved so much. He's not doing too well at Chelsea at the moment, is he? Well, no, we are not going to talk about that. I nearly swore. We're not going to talk about the circus of Chelsea Football Club of 2023. Not not, not today. But when we touched on Terry, you you mentioned, obviously, he he won the FA Cup with Tottenham in 91. He he would leave, he, he got the sack at Barcelona. He'd come back to Tottenham. Tottenham, again, certainly a different club in the late 80s, early 90s to what they are now. And then there was a lot of financial turmoil at the club. There was issues in terms of payments. There was issues in terms of sort of, there was rumours, players weren't getting paid. It was getting to that point. You was sort of still becoming one of the best in the business at, at that point. When Terry became Tottenham manager, when did you sort of know that that was going to be the case and in your uh, sort of opinion how how did you think at that point Terry would have got on at Tottenham well Irving Scholar brought him back and um, you know they they got on like a house on fire and and, uh, under Scholar you know there was um, a final issue obviously when Terry put the pressure on him uh, about the finances and not getting players, usual things that managers do. It's an, it's an old tri-tested tested tactic. Um, Irving was convinced it wasn't as bad, uh, but Terry went public. Um, so they had a falling out at the end. Um, and, you know, what, what I detected at that point was the kind of people that Terry was associating with in business. Uh, people like Eddie Ashby, um, who ended up going to prison for four years um, and uh, various other kind of people he was bringing in to try and raise the finance to buy Spurs. Um, uh, And, you know, uh, you get this nose for things, don't you, as a journalist? And I started to investigate it and I got some information, I got some documents, and it was quite clear what was going on was going to make headline news, which, which, of course, it did endlessly, I think, for a year. Um, and at the Daily Mirror, we were at the sharp end, break, breaking it all with, with hard and fast documents that no one could argue about. You know, um, you know, bungs to to, to, uh, to rival managers. Um, you know, um, bogus payments to agents, double payments to agents. Uh, uh, goes on and on and on. As far as the missing dance floor, which. Um, uh, seemed to have left Spurs and ended up at Scribes West, Terry Venables' club. <laughs> it, it was as funny as that. Right. You know, it, it, it wasn't the great train robbery or, or Brinks-Max, you know, uh, bullion robbery, but it, it was um, scenes out of minder. It was quite... It was, it was, <laughs> it was, you know, we, yeah, we could laugh about it because it was really quite funny. But um, uh, Alan Sugar wasn't laughing. When found out what was going on. Well, before before we discuss the clash between Terry Venables and Alan Sugar, it was under Venables at Tottenham that he brought Gary Lineker to Tottenham. He would bring Paul Gascoigne in. And there seemed to be a bit of a sort of a change in terms of 
Tottenham becoming a, just a bog standard team to a team that have, has got a bit of flair about them that could potentially do something. And you, they won the FA Cup in '91. They beat Arsenal in that memorable semi-final at Wembley with Paul Gascoigne scoring the free kick. And then you got the final against Nottingham Forest and against Brian Clough, who at that point still did have did not win the FA Cup before. Just um, out of curiosity, did you go to that cup final in '91? I did. You did. <laughs> you oh, did. Yeah, yeah. What did you make of it in t- from a spectacle sort of side? Because again, you know, Gascoigne sort of seemed to be a little bit on edge, a little bit maybe, probably. If cooler heads prevailed, it obviously would have been a bit of a different game for him. But he obviously got taken off from from a bad injury. Tottenham would end up winning it. I believe it was um, Paul Stewart scored the winner, and Terry led Tottenham to glory that day at Wembley. Well, he did, but you know, uh, with my relationship with Irving Scholar, um, uh, I, I got to know a lot of what's happening behind the scenes, a lot that he saw. Certainly, still one sided view. But what he saw was that um, Gascoigne was virt- virtually carrying the team on his own to that cup final. And he felt, the chairman felt, that the manager was relying too much on Gascoigne and overhyped um, someone who was obviously had mental health issues that we now know, possibly could detect at the time, but, you know, Mental health issues weren't really at the fore in that particular time of, of um, uh, in, in football terms, but now it is, uh, and clearly we can now see this was this was a young lad suffering with mental health issues, and being overwound up to perform in that cup final, if indeed that's what happened, resulted in you know self destruction, didn't it? I mean, it, it wasn't what, what the referee should have done was done something in his first tackle. Because mm. that wasn't the first wild, you know, over the top, completely ridiculous tackle. In the, it, it, it was he was flying in from the first minute. Yeah. But then when you know if the referee had taken some action, done something at that particular time, maybe it would calmed him down. But what he did with that tackle, it was just you know self destruct. Because also, then, I was going. Gonna... Then he, on his recovery, he goes out in the nightclub on, on crutches and falls on his kneecap and smashes that. I mean, you know, um, Paul Gascoigne is a story all on its own. <laughs> Beer all night. <laughs> well, I was going to say, because also it was at, at that stage as well that Paul Gascoigne was going to leave Tottenham to join Lazio because Lazio bought him and the transfer weren't going to happen until a couple of months later. But then Gascoigne picked up the injury and there was allegedly rumours that Lazio were going to pull out the deal, but Tottenham were concerned because Lazio put in a hell of a lot of money in for Paul Gascoigne where Tottenham needed the money. So they were relying on Gascoigne not to get it injured as, as badly as he was, but then he, go, he goes to Lazio, an injured player, and he didn't make his debut for quite a while from, from that point. Was there sort of issues on that front? Because there was, again, rumours that... Tottenham obviously needed the money because of certain dealings that were happening, and that's why they had to sell Gascoigne to Lazio. Did you hear any of them sort of stories? Well, I didn't hear them, uh, 
believe I, I was publishing them all. Publishing and, them. And, and, and basically, uh, the truth of the matter is, and I produced all the documents to show it, that uh, although Terry Venables was publicly saying, you know, I'll save the club and keep Gascoigne there, what we produced was documents of the, of the transfer deal that um, he, he was relying on the £7 million pounds to, to you know, keep the club alive. That really, the sale of, of, of Gascoigne was a prerequisite of his purchase with, with uh, Alan Sugar. Um, of course, I was at the Mirror and I was, uh, Robert Maxwell got involved. I got him involved and he would have kept Gascoigne at the club. They were offering him you know, astronomical sums. Um, and I know that through his agent, Bill Steen, the one who's passed away, unfortunately. Um, you know, um, so I was very close to him as well. Um, and Irving Scholar was very keen to keep Gascoigne. Um, but, the, you know, there was huge amounts of money going missing out of that transfer fee to uh, different kinds of financiers and agents and all sorts of people who had their hand in the till. So, um, you know, uh, it was an interesting time. It kept me very busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose the next thing I was going to sort of talk about probably kept you even more busier was with Venables and Alan Sugar both coming in to look to save Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And then it would only be a matter of, well, maybe even less than two years in... 1993, I believe it the, 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 when I looked at the research, I believe it was around about the 14th of May, 93 to be exact, that Alan Sugar dismissed Terry Venables for, from Tottenham over business dealings. Now, it was briefly brought up in the documentary, and if you haven't seen the documentary, I do urge people to see it if, it, if you're in, living in the UK. It's the Sky documentary that they did about two years ago uh, on Terry Venables. And... It was brought up a little bit, but with you being, a, again, a Tottenham fan, but also being a journalist sort of in the deep end, so to speak, how bad was the relationship or how bad did the relationship get between Sugar and Venables to the point where Alan Sugar basically barred him from the club? How did it get to this stage? And, you know, again, was there anything that perhaps you could sh share some light on in regards to this with, with Terry? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, when when the penny dropped with Alan Sugar about uh, all the dodgy dealings behind the scenes, um, I think he, he, he said to Terry, you know, something's got to give and, you know, we, we've got to come to some arrangement. So I think at first he was willing um, to compromise and, and, and sort out an arrangement with Terry, but Terry wanted still to really own the club and wanted to buy Sugar out more than anything else. But, you know, um, it was just so... Intense behind. I don't think the relationship actually could have deteriorated to any any lower a degree. Um, uh, and I think this is where Andrew Sugar coined the phrase "bungs," you know, because he, you know I was publishing documentary evidence that Brian Clough, through um, his associates at Nottingham Forest, was taking bungs on the Teddy Sheringham transfer. And there was no question about it that Alan Sugar took exception to this, as well as many other issues involving um, business affairs. Just to illustrate with the timeline, because Teddy Sheridan was at Nottingham Forest in, I believe the transfer happened in the early 90s. So we're talking 92, 93. 
Teddy Sheridan was at Nottingham Forest. He then got transferred to Tottenham in 92. Yeah, I forgot the timeline right here, Harry. Yeah, roughly that, yeah. that time. And, um, you know, eventually there was a Premier League inquiry and I've, uh, one of the, I'm probably the only journalist left who's kept the entire findings of the Premier League inquiry, which I obviously contributed to. Um, and in it, there's no question that Teddy Sheringham gave evidence uh, to start with by saying he knew nothing about anything. Um, but he eventually conceded that he had gone to the um, uh, motorway service station and clearly uh, money would exchange hands there uh, and uh, in brown envelopes. Uh, and it was established that uh, bungs were, were passed and were heading for Brian Clough. There was no question that that was established. Um, and... Um, you know, and Sugar knew that, and, and it wasn't the only one. You know, there was, um, uh, I produced many a document, um, uh, and uh, we know the agents were involved there uh, and, and what they were up to, because it was on the back page of the Daily Mirror virtually every other day. So, um, no, it was, it, it went to the courts, um, and, um, you know, it, it was a difficult time for Alan Sugar um, because. Spurs fans love Terry Venables. They, yeah. You know, they, and, and the players love Terry Venables. Players were on Terry Venables' side. The fans were on his side. And they were, you know, they were booing Alan Sugar when he turned up at court and throwing eggs at him. Um, but, you know, when all the facts emerged, and I've written books about it, and, there's, you know, other people have, um, and they followed my lead about it. I've, I've done a documentary with Channel 5 on Dispatches written two books about it. Uh, Mirheb Bose has followed with his own book. You know, I love Mirheb, you know, saying that he's obviously broken all these stories when he hasn't. But anyway, look, you know, um, he, he's added to, to the um, uh, investigation about it. I, I think once once everyone's read all the facts now, you can come to the conclusion that Alan Sugar was right. I see. Was there other deals surrounding Tottenham at this point? that were in question? Keith, there are so many, I would suggest you read the book. <laughs> <laughs> that's a small plug, I get it. That's, that's a big plug, I promise you. And there's loads of names mentioned, there's loads of, you know, I'm not holding back on the names, they're all there, and the documents are there to prove it. Um, uh, and all the nations, names are there, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a minefield. Don't forget, don't forget, Alan Sugar got... Um, Docked 10 points and banned from the FA Cup for two years. As a consequence, I handed all those documents over to Graham Kelly at the FA. Um, and and uh, Alan Sugar's defence was, hang on, you know, this all happened prior to me arriving. Um, I, I actually, uh, as Alan Sugar, when I discovered it, I told the FA about it. Um, and it's not my, I didn't do it. So if you want to sue me make, and hurt me financially and hurt the club and hurt the players... I'll take the FA to court. Don't worry. I've got the finances to do it. And guess what Graham Kelly did? <laughs> wow. He rescinded, he rescinded the 10-point uh, um, punishment and put mm. him back in the FA Cup. A good precedent that Everton should be taken to the Premier League. Well, I mean, in terms of... <laughs> What's happening in the current climate with certain deals that are being questioned, I think, you know, it's sort of reared its ugly head again. But 
when Alan Sugar won his court battle with Terry Venables, looking back, how much do you think this affected Terry? Do you think that the you know even in his later years, after the fact, even maybe five ten years later after the fact, do you think this still bothered him? This little stain and his time with Tottenham. Yeah, of course it did. I mean, you know, um, and I felt vindicated, you know. Um, but don't forget, there were 11 criminal charges lodged against Terry Venables. Now, I, I don't know in this life, if, you've, if you're if guilt, you guilty, and he was guilty of all of them, if you're guilty of 11 criminal charges, you end up in the nick. <laughs> but, you know, the, the DTI had prosecuted many high-profile people at that particular time, and in front of uh, uh, a jury, um, when, when they see these prominent people, they see on the TV and then they grow to love and respect, um, the DTI lost most of their cases. And they felt on balance um, they wouldn't pursue Terry Venables in the courts with the jury because the jury would love him and probably find him not guilty. So um, they downgraded it. It became a DTI case and he was found guilty of of, of I think uh, nine of those eleven charges, and uh, banned as a company director for seven years. Because hmm. I believe as well, Alan Sugar said in a press conference that he's not welcomed at the club while he's there as as owner, and it was basically that he was barred. Sorry, Terry Venables was barred from going to Tottenham matches. I mean. Now, you know, if, if if that happened now, that would be quite un, unprecedented. And that sort of seemed quite a bit of a, at the time, it seemed harsh. But again, when you look at two sides to every story, do you think Alan was right to, because again, maybe a short time later, Terry would then become England manager, but he was still not allowed to go to Tottenham matches at White Hart Lane. Uh, that's a question for Alan Sugar. I mean, you know, um, I, I, I've laid bare what um, Alan Sugar believed he had to suffer. Uh, and he felt he and his family suffered so much persecution, intimidation, you know, hatred from the fans, which he felt was unjust. You know, I went round to his house um, uh, and, and, and sat in his big office um, and listened to his side of the story. And I think you, you may recall the headline. I felt like the man who shot Bambi. Interesting. Because of, obviously, all, everything that happened between Terry Venables and Alan Sugar, was you then surprised that a few months later, with Graham Taylor getting the sack at England, that Venables got the job as England no. national team manager? No, I wasn't, because I helped to get him the job. How? What was the process <laughs> like with that? Well, um, Graham Kelly was taking um, counsel from all the stakeholders in the game. He felt that it was time the next England manager, we should actually ask people's opinion rather than in our ivory tower at the FA, just think we know best. So let's ask everyone what they think. So at that time, there was four or five, four of us who were very influential in the media. You didn't have social media then. You didn't have all the kind of outlets you had. If you wanted to know what was going on, you had to buy the, buy the paper to find out. <laughs> so we were quite influential back in those days. So four of us, we were on England duty. He asked four of us to come to his hotel room. We sat around having a cup of coffee. 
And he said, I'm thinking I've asked a load of people, Jimmy Armfield, various other people have asked around. Everyone thinks we should appoint Terry Venables. What do you four guys think? So the other guy said, yeah, just appoint him. Well, Harry, what do you think? I said, well, Graham, look, why don't you just look at all the evidence you've got? Say, we believe he's guilty of bringing the game into disrepute, not because of what he's done in the game, but his business affairs. That doesn't actually impact that much on the game. It does it did a little bit. Find him guilty of that, fine him under a thousand pounds and move on. But I would agree with my colleagues, he's the best man for the job on his football ability. I would appoint him. So he took our advice, he appointed him very shortly after that meeting. Hmm. But he didn't take my advice on, on charging him with disrepute, and that came back to haunt him. In what way? Because he should have continued after Euro 96. Yes. Um, and um, it's often said that Terry said, you know, they wouldn't give me a new contract before Euro 96. That wasn't true. Um, what was true was they wanted to give him a contract, but it was only going to be one year. He said, well, look, any manager usually has another two years, so you take me to the World Cup. And they said, look, the problem we've got is all your, all your court cases lining up. And Terry said, well, I have got that problem. And on balance, they both agreed they should part company because they wouldn't give him the contract in the length of contract he wanted. And he had so many diversions with the court cases. So it was 50-50, one or the other. What was it? Who, who knows? I don't know. Did the FA feel that if they kept Terry on between sort of 96 to 98 when it came to the you know, going to World Cup qualifications, excuse me, that there would be certain, like a bad image prepped on DFA, that the FA would end up getting, with all due respect, shit on them if it came to light that Terry Venables had these certain court cases that would come to light and how the severity would come to it, that the FA were concerned that they might get some stick for it? Well, they were concerned. I mean, I knew Mr. Blobby very well, as Terry called him, Mr. Blobby, <laughs> Noel White. <laughs> uh, so I knew what was going on. But, you know, it, it couldn't have got much worse for the FA because, I mean, he'd been in court on other issues related to this, but not necessarily related to Alan Sugar. There were other court cases were coming up because of, of his financial dealings. And um, he, he tried to subpoena me in one of these court cases because... It was unrelated to Spurs and Alan Sugar. He just wanted to get me into the witness box so his QCs could ask me where I got my documents from. He was desperate to know that, and I wouldn't tell him, obviously. Um, but we, we, we fought the subpoena. The, the Mirror lawyers fought the subpoena, and he lost. But in that particular case, again, unrelated to the FAs or football, um, the judge said he was wanton in his evidence. I mean, and that was interpreted as that he'd lied to the courts. He wasn't a reliable witness. He didn't tell the truth under oath in the court. So it could have gone much worse for the FA. Now, I think Mr. Blobby and his gang really just wanted him to, you know, sign a one-year contract to see how it went, to make sure nothing actually derailed the FA in, in, in broader terms. You know, someone actually said, you know, you're banned as a director, but we want to extend that, that you can't actually be the England manager because that's kind of like a directorship 
or an executive of an organisation. That's what they were concerned about. And, and um, Terry was still wanting to fight his corner. He believed he was innocent of all of these things. And I, I can see why he did, because he was so badly advised by some really unscrupulous, unsavoury characters that surrounded him. Do you think, looking back, that the FA did want to keep him for 98, but were looking to try and do it in a different way? Do you think there was sort of some people that did want him to stay, but obviously they didn't want to sort of tie their flag to that particular mast? Well, you know, the FA as well as I do, they don't really know what they want to do or what they're doing um, back then or even now. So, um, yeah, who knows? I, I think people now have got wiser to what went on before and they try and do their best. Um, but, you know, the, the Premier League have taken over the game, so it's very difficult, uh, the FA. But back then, you know, the FA was still in control of the game to a certain extent. Certainly, they in control of the morals of the game. And there was a moral issue here. You know, in, in not so long before that, they were banning an England captain from playing in a game, in, in, a, in a World Cup qualifier, because he was suspended. Hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> dream of doing that now. But, um, look, they wanted to hedge their bets. Yes, they wanted Terry Venables. They could see that he, he was probably still the best man for the job, but they didn't know what would transpire in Euro 96. They didn't know what would transpire in the courts. So, look, Terry, take a year. And then let's see. Of course, we want you to go on to the World Cup, but let, you know, we don't want to dig ourselves a hole, which we can't dig ourselves out of. What was your feelings towards Terry like? Was you two on adequate terms with each other or after this particular sort of issue surrounding his time at Tottenham, did this sort of break any sort of relationship that you may have had with Terry at this point? Well, look, you know, Terry Venables... Uh, Everyone loved Terry Venables. I loved Terry Venables. I loved him as a person. He was great company. Yeah, he was a great crooner. I loved him when I heard him singing at Scribes West. You know, he was great company at the bar. We, we as journalists, spent an awful lot of money in his company at the bar. <laughs> um, and it was great to listen to him. And, you know, I loved going to Barcelona and, and, and listening to him analysing games afterwards. You know, who wouldn't want to be in his company? Everyone did. Um, but, you know, as a journalist, I'm, I, I'm acquiring this information. I'm, I've got these documents. It would be remiss of me not to, not to have published them, not to have written what I knew to be true. Um, but for me, it, 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 it didn't matter. My relationship would not have changed. But it's a two-way street, and I can't imagine for one minute, it's obvious that he wouldn't feel the same warmth towards me that he might have felt earlier. Right. Why would you? Um, and, you know, we bumped into each other uh, time to time. Uh, one time I just said to him, look, Terry, this isn't personal. You know, I, I still regard you highly. What do you expect me to do as a journalist? I, I'm publishing what I can see to be the truth. He wasn't impressed with that. Right. And in fact, I, I would say his response was a vague warning about my personal welfare. <laughs> I want to touch on Euro 96 and... Everybody who I speak to that was, again, from that time that were avid football fans say that it's still one of the best tournaments that they were part of. 
whether it was a as a football supporter or as a player in that time watching Euro '96. What was your sort of memories of that tournament, whether it was with England in particular or how Terry was with the players? Obviously, we'll talk. You briefly touched on the dentist chair situation with Gaza and other players to note. You mentioned obviously with how Terry took that and took that in in a positive step for him and his team. But what are your sort of memories of that whole tournament, whether it was you know before the tournament to during the whole thing? Keith, you're going to have to do a two-parter on this uh, podcast. <laughs> I'll give you the answer, but we could be here a long time. So um, prior to Euro 96, Alan Shearer hasn't scored in a dozen games. Um, Terry Venables um, had decided to take the team. Well, was it his decision? The FA probably got a lot of money to take the team to the Far East. I wasn't grumbling because it was a great trip to the Far East. But, you know, as I said in the mirror, who, who takes the team halfway around the world to prepare for home games? And, you know, um, it, it, it transpired with the dentist chair, the, the players running amok and pissed, um, you know, coming back, smashing up the um, Qantas airline and putting Dennis Wise and Gazza in the overrated locker to celebrate Gazza's birthday. And, um, you know, it, it, was, it was a shit. I mean, who would do all of that? So, you know, at the Mirror, we were saying this isn't the way to prepare for a tournament that's at Wembley. You know, he's, he's knackered the players and they're all worn out and they're, they're all coming back pissed and smashing up the airline. You know, this isn't what we should be doing. Um, and look, in the first couple of games, they were crap, weren't they? Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> it was the 1-1 one, one draw with Switzerland with Stuart Pearce sort of conceded the penalty. And... It was horrendous. They were very yeah. poor. And, um, you know, Piers Morgan was my editor, not sports editor, and he loved it. He said, no, Harry, you're bang on. I always respect your view. You're bang on. Let's give them stick, blah, blah, blah. And we did. Um, and, of course, you know, he, then we played Germany. Oh, and then Piers Morgan's attitude completely changed. He wanted to drop leaflets on the German training camp. He wanted, you know, tanks outside their door. You know, and I think he was told politely we, we shouldn't be doing that. But he had Stuart Pearce in a hard hat, didn't he, in a bayonet uh, on his back page. But of course, he, he you know, he, he didn't tell me personally, but I, I got the, I got the, you just get a feeling. You know, the um, sports editor is saying, um, and, and I'm in the field, I'm in the training camp every day, all day with the players. Um, can you come back to the office? And I'm saying, why would I do that? Travelling for a couple of hours, I'm here working hard with the team inside. Now, you know, you're wanted back in the office. You don't need me back in the office. So what's going on? Now, we'll tell you when you get back in the office. I'm not coming back in the office. Look, if you don't come back in the office, I'm getting the sack. I said, well, okay, I'm coming back in the office. I didn't want the sports center to get the sack. In I come. And I knew it was not the thing. I knew something was up. When I come in, there's this eight-foot beef eater there with an axe ready to chop my head off and send me to the tower. <sighs> yes, you couldn't make it up. But this is what Piers Morgan wanted on his front page. He wanted me and the, all the football staff beheaded and sent to the tower for daring to doubt Terry Venables and his England team. Crazy. Wow. Yeah, anyway, I said to him, you know, if you think I'm going to do that, you know, you can stick your job because I'm not. 
<laughs> and the sport said, and said, look, he's gone off in a half. I'm going to get the sack. What do you expect? I said, look, I'm leaving. If you get somebody else to be beheaded and you put my head on it, I can't do anything about that, can I? Because I'm not here. So I'm buggering off, do what you want. So you might have seen me being beheaded on the front page, but it wasn't me. Wasn't you. I'll have to try and find that picture online. <laughs> How England performed in certain matches, you, you know, we beat Scotland at Wembley. We also had that great sort of performance against the Dutch um, that featured some tremendous performances from England players. And we ended up beating them 4-1. We then got lucky against Spain in the quarterfinals. And then the big game against Germany at Wembley, everyone who you know, enjoys watching their football would have seen it. I remember um, Des Lynam's intro to to the match. It still sort of rings true uh, at times as well. Again, we'll sort of, don't get many presenters like that anymore. But in terms of Ed Terry and in terms of England, was do you think that this was arguably Terry's biggest match as coach in his in, in his career was the semi-final against Germany in terms of what could have it led to and from where he was from in 93 getting the boot at Tottenham to now in 96 no, no, no doubt about it you're correct it was his biggest ever game of his entire career <clears throat> and I, I still believe now that had he been Germany and, and had he gone on to you know to win that tournament I think, you know, there was still a main sway of, you know, why, why is he leaving? And he shouldn't be leaving. But if he'd have won it, I don't think the FA could have let him go. I really don't. You know, I, I just think that they'd have had to. But then him. it was already announced before the tournament that Glenn Hodder was coming in. So how would have that worked if Terry did know. win? I just don't know. Because, I, I, you know, I know Glenn Hodder very well. Uh, and he's a great, he was a great England coach. He took, he took on what happened in Euro 96. And he, I think he had a far, far better team by the time he got to the World Cup. And, you know, they were away from home and got got as far as they could have got and could have gone further. As we know, they could have won it quite easily. Um, and then, you know, both Terry Venables and Glenn Hoddle um, were ousted for things that they wouldn't be ousted for now. Yeah. Either one of them could still have been in the job. And it's, it's ludicrous, really. But, you know, um, so... Yeah, I mean, it's funny how these um, revolving doors take place. Um, but that was his defining moment. And um, he, he, he made a couple of mistakes because I spoke to some of the people uh, in his backroom staff and uh, they'd urged him to put on a goal scorer from his bench in the last minute of the game rather than to, than to have the guys that miss penalties, miss penalties. You know, it's... Uh, uh, it, it was a, a, a coaching mistake, actually, um, um, which was a surprise. Was surprising for Terry because he was so bright and alert, um, and um, you know the wrong people were taking penalties at the end. There, there's no question about that. Uh, I am. I hope I'm right in saying that he had the likes of Robbie Fowler and Les Ferdinand on the bench as well, that hardly played a game in the Euros, but could have come on for the penalty shootouts and without Gareth Southgate having that issue of missing the penalty, we could be talking a whole different story here. Yeah, so bring on Fowler in the last minute. Hmm. Never, hardly ever missed a penalty for Liverpool. It would have been a completely different penalty shootout if it had been on, on their taking penalty at the end. 
Anyway, look, it's all history. Uh, you know, it, it's a lot of ifs and buts and whys, you know. Uh, uh, you know, in retrospect, it was a great, great tournament. Um, mm. But if you analyse all the games, um, it, it, England were phenomenal against Holland. There's no question about it. But look at that Dutch team. They were really on the way down. It wasn't a great Dutch team. They were outplayed by Spain. Um, even against Scotland, it was really a phenomenal goal by Gaza that really turned the game. It was nothing in that match early on. They, they weren't very much, nothing to write home about. But, you know, even going back to Bobby Robson, the Italian 90, didn't start very well. Um, England team's notoriously a poor starter. So I'm not decrying Terry Venables because of that. But um, it, it was at Wembley, the momentum of a nation behind them. Um, you know, they've only ever won a major tournament at home. So there was a great chance to have won it. After 96, just to touch, touch on before before I do talk about his time post-England, there was rumours and rumblings about sort of any um, issues between Glenn Hoddle and Terry Venables over the England job. Did you hear any of these stories about any animosity between the two, about the England situation, that Glenn was coming in and Terry wasn't very keen on him as his successor? Did you hear any stories in regards to that? No, I didn't hear any, no. I knew right. I knew that that was the case. didn't hear about it. I knew about it. Oh, you knew about it? I knew about it. Terry Venables did not want... Like Glenn Hoddle um, was a very astute, young, up-inspiring coach, the best young coach of his generation that the FA brought in. So he rarely made a, a, a good decision, but they made a good decision there. But Glenn being Glenn... He, he, he didn't want to just sit there, you know, and then wait until everything had finished and, and all the players are dispersed. And then the first thing he's going to do is, is on a Monday morning, um, join up with, with his players and, and on Wednesday play his first World Cup qualifying game. That, that wasn't very professional. So what he said was, I want to ask Terry, I want to ask the FA, could I turn up at the training grant camp? Could I sit in all the press conferences? Could I see him here? And meet the players, see the players, listen to what's going on, and and get and and be in a position where I'm not cold to the thing that before my first World Cup qualifying game, I know what I'm doing. I know which players to pick, what players I can see in training, and everything that goes with it. And Terry Venables thought, "Sod that! I don't want that." Right. <laughs> I'm in charge of the team, and Terry, you know, the perception could be Glenn Odell's on the training camp. He's training the players, and if we do well in Euro 96, could be down to him. Kind of right. mindset of, of, of territorial issues that that might... So that was that was the loggerheads that occurred right from day one. With England knocked out of the Euros, Terry Venables would leave his position. He'd go to take the Australian national job, which a lot of people were a little bit sort of thinking, really, you know, from England, you're going to Australia... At the time, what was your thoughts on this? Did you sort of feel this was a little bit of a, a maybe a, a backwards move for Terry? That you know, why would he go from the pinnacle of his professional career to then managing in Australia? Or was it a case of other factors surrounding this move? Well, why did Don Revy go to the desert and desert England? Not that Terry Venable deserted England; it was a different scenario, but not too dissimilar. Um, because you know. He's offered the job. There's a lot of money in it. 
and nice lifestyle. And I would have thought he probably wanted to get away from all the hassle that had been following around in England. He would make a sort of a brief return to management with Crystal Palace, but it didn't last long. He then had that stint with Middlesbrough under Brian Robson when Brian Robson was coach but then he obviously had a little bit of uh, issues with certain players and then he would leave Terry Venables would take over and then later on he then had his last job which was Leeds United he took over um, from David O'Leary around about that time because this is where my sort of addiction to football did, did, did start in 2002 from after the World Cup Terry came in at Leeds but it was the Leeds whereby they spent a lot of money to try and get to a certain place. They didn't get to the Champions League places and they you know, were hoping they would be getting the money to obviously finance what the amount of spending that they did. Terry came in, but it was at the summer where Leeds was selling all these players and it was a summer where Leeds needed to sell the players to keep afloat. Terry was involved in that. He, he didn't last long in the job, but what are your memories at, at this stage of Terry's career? from being sort of in the Premier League with Leeds United and having to deal with all the shenanigans of that? Rather sad for him, really, to be perfectly honest. You know, um, you might think I might be gloating, but, but you know, for someone who always believed in his coaching abilities, always called him a genius, it was really sad to see him on the way. You know, it was bad choices of clubs, bad decisions, um, you know, it, it was sad, really, you know, uh, what can you say? It, 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 life takes a turn and twist and goes in the, in the wrong direction, which it did for him. And that was pretty much it for his coaching career after Leeds United. That was it. He was linked with other jobs um, in terms of being a manager. He then returned to England working under Steve McLaren for a brief stint in 2006-2007. It wasn't the same, but at this stage, Terry would then obviously go into more of the TV punditry side. He obviously did that a little bit in the early 90s. At that stage, did you feel that Terry's career as a football manager was over at that stage? And you know, what, what, what was the feeling amongst the media about Terry at this point, you know, around 2002, 2003? If you well, recall, the vast majority of the media, Keith, you know, all loved Terry Venables and, and didn't see anything wrong with him, no matter what I did. In fact, you know, they, they were always at loggerheads with me for publishing this stuff. They thought I shouldn't have done it. Right. Um, but um, what, what I did discover uh, and, and, and wrote about was that I felt that some of these bad decisions he was taking about decisions where he was going in club management was a lot to do. In fact, he was deflected by wanting to make a success of his business career. By this time, you know, his seven-year ban had elapsed. He was able to become a, a director and he had this grand vision of building um, his own La Manga in Spain. So we know what La Manga's like. It's a big training centre, hotels, and tennis courts and football pitches where the clubs go for, for, for training, mid-winter breaks. Not so much these days. They go much further afield. But in those days, La Manga was, was the go-to venue. It's where Glenn Hoddle took the uh, England team and um, decided not to pick Glenn um, Gascoigne, as we know. So he had this vision of, of, of his own La Manga hotels, training camps. Um, and it was funny because um, 
my wife and I had gone for a holiday to Lamanga, completely uh, unrelated to what Terry Venables was doing. And um, we were just strolling around Lamanga and bumped into Terry Venables. <laughs> he thought I was stalking him on his Lamanga project, trying to find out what he was up to, but I was just on holiday. And I tried to tell him that. And I said, that's about going. He didn't believe me. And he checked out the and went somewhere else. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> he did have a villa that he owned in Spain. And he, he had that for a number of years. And it was actually featured in a documentary that uh, the BBC did about Euro 96. Alan Shearer went to interview him. And it was looked very, very picturesque. But in terms of Terry Venables as the coach and as, as a manager for you personally, or, and for you as a journalist, where does he rank in terms of all time, great England coaches? Oh, certainly up, up there. Yeah. I mean, to reach a semi-final and to galvanize the country and change perception, uh, from a working man's class sport to, you know, the whole of the country supporting it, women as well. Um, I, I mean, for that alone, you put him right at the, right at the, the pinnacle, uh, along with Sir Bobby Robson, um, uh, obviously Alf Ramsey, <laughs> uh, and Glenn Hoddle. You know, um, uh, who else really has succeeded? I mean, or, or, or galvanised the country, or, or got to a semi-final? Hmm. Gareth Southgate obviously did, um, but you know, would you put him amongst that 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 group of great? Managers, England managers, I'd probably put him towards the end of it, actually. Looking back, obviously there'd be years to come when people talk about managerial great or even great people. Obviously, football has lost a, a unique character in Terry Venables. St- we're not getting those unique characters again, are we? We're not, you know, they're starting to be dwindled out of the game. We're starting to get people that are very plain, very sort of, pardon the pun, pre-boring. Are we losing that sort of unique characters like Terry in, in football now, do you reckon, Harry? There's two answers to that. One, if you're talking about English coaches, the answer is yes. If you're talking about coaches generally in English football, the answer is no, because hey, you can't get better characters than Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. <laughs> And big Arge at Spurs, whether whether he succeeds or he doesn't succeed, or Pochettino, um, uh, and the list can go on, you know. So there's two answers to that one. Yeah, me being in my early thirties, the only sort of things I do remember Terry Venables of was as a manager. I know that there's going to be a lot of people like me, and they hold Terry Venables in 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 high regard. How do you think Terry will be remembered by? either the English press or even for English fans. How, how do you think Terry will be remembered? Well, Terry Venables will be remembered um, as a genius, as a coach, very warmly by the fans and the players uh, who, 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 who took England to the brink of success in Euro 96, uh, galvanised the country behind the England team, changed the perception of English football, uh, and there can be no higher praise than that. Before we go, Harry, obviously you did have a book out um, detailing the situation around Terry Venables that happened a long, long time ago. But if you wanted to sort of have 30 seconds to a minute, if you wanted to advertise 
your book, you're you're more than welcome to. If there's anybody that wants to sort of know more about the history of Terry Venables from the business dealing side to how it did conflict with football, how would they go about finding the book, Harry? Well, it's, it's, it's available on Amazon. Um, I, I, the only plug I would give my own book is, uh, obviously biased, <laughs> but the, the reviews are good. Um, it is that I believe it's the only rounded book that exists about Terry Venables as a player, coach, manager, and his business dealings. Whereas some, or the odd one, is about his business dealings, and there's one or two about his, his abilities as a coach and a manager and a player. But this one, I think, is the only one that combines the two and discusses all that we've been discussing at great length. So if you want to know about the real man, I think this is the, the book that tells you. Well, Harry, thank you very much for joining the show. And it was nice to sort of talk about Terry Venables in more of a detailed light from his time as a player, a coach, a businessman, an owner, a director. You know, so we've sort of been pretty much touched on them all, but he certainly touched a lot of fans' hearts. And I think many people were very saddened when... To, they learned of the passing of the great Terry Venables and um, yeah, certainly a character and he'll, and he'll be sorely missed. Indeed. Harry, thank you very much for joining the show. Hopefully we'll sit, we'll have you back on to talk more of a positive note, hopefully when uh, the circus leaves Chelsea football club, but that might be, that, that might be a podcast all in itself, but Harry, thank you very much and all, all the best.